to keep a worshipful um, heart and attitude, I would like to read a scripture to us and just invite you to sit in the presence that we invited in worship, the presence of the living God that's here with us in this room, and allow him to speak to your heart through the words of scripture. So I am reading from Isaiah chapter 55. Father, when we were worshiping, we said words that that are in a song, and yet they're words that you mean to us. And, and, And the words were all who are thirsty and all who are weak. And Isaiah 55 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. As we sit in God's presence together, think about what that means for you. Ask Jesus to show you what it means for you to receive something that usually costs money and we are receiving it free. What is it that God is giving to you free today? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? God, would you show us where we are spending our time, our energy, our emotions, even our money on things that do not satisfy, and we are spending our labor, our work, and our efforts on things that do not satisfy, God? We want to be your daughters who who come to you and are filled by you because you offer the only thing that is the true need. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. As we sit in God's presence, ask him to show you what is it that your soul delights in? What is that richest affair that he offers to you that maybe you've been too busy to notice or too lonely to listen to or too sad to be able to lift your eyes to? What is it that your soul delights in that God longs to give you today in this place? God says, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Hear me. Hear the living God that your soul may live. Father, forgive us for where we have neglected our souls. We have taken care of our body. We have taken care of our home. We have taken care of our children and our parents and our loved ones and our coworkers, but we have failed to give ear to you that our soul may live. This morning, would you awaken something in each of us? Would you awaken a desire to not just hear you in this place, but to hear you when we go from here and to wake up each day and to ask Jesus, what do you have for me today? What would you have me hear that my soul may live? I don't know what Jesus has been speaking to you this morning. Amen. But I want to talk for just a minute about why we worship. And I didn't plan to do this, so I don't have my references for my Bible verses. Please forgive me. A teacher should never do that. They should know where the thing is that they're saying is in the Bible. So don't just take my word for it. Go home and look it up. 
But the Bible tells us that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And I just, I want to get the elephant out in the open here. This room and this setting is awesome for fellowship and table talk. This is a really hard place to worship. When you're standing around tables and you stand up and the chair's in the way and you're standing in front of the person behind you, even those of you who love to worship can find some days that this is just kind of a hard setting to enter in to worship. And I've noticed that through time. And yet today, as I was, I was entering into worship and I, I went to the back of the room and I watched and we were in the presence of the living God together because the God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we praise, he comes. And so sometimes we can get in this routine where we come to church because this is what we do and we come to the gathering because we like seeing people and it's good teaching and it's this and it's that and, and we like worship, but we can find that if we don't turn our brains off autopilot, we're just doing what we do because that's what we do. We, we stand and we sing because that's what you do when you get together at church. You sing. And, but why do we sing? We sing because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people and we want the presence of the Lord with us. And so we praise him and we worship him. And in our worship, we are inviting his presence. We also praise him because our souls need to praise the living God. The psalmist would say, um, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And, and when you read the Psalms, you see that the psalmist who wrote them is actually talking to his own soul and coaching his own soul through his depression. And he's saying, soul, when you are downcast, lift your eyes and put your hope in God. And my soul will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Because whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in your world, whatever is going on in your heart and your brain, we need our souls to be lifted to the living God because that is where our souls find life. And so we praise and worship because it invites the presence of God and we praise and worship because our souls need to submit to something greater than us and acknowledge that there is a force in the universe that we are not in control of. And so we praise the living God. And some of us enter into worship because it's our God language. It's how we're wired and we feel the closest to God when we are worshiping him. It's just the place where we go, all is right in the universe as long as I can worship the living God. And so whether you're a person whose God language is worship or not, I invite you in times, whether it's in big church, as we call it on the weekends, or at times when you get together with smaller groups like this, to enter into worship on behalf of inviting the presence of God and coaching your soul into where it will live, even if worship isn't necessarily your God language. And for those of you who worship is your God language, we're so glad you're here because you're teaching us. I remember a long time ago when actually this was the sanctuary of the church and the choir was up here and the congregation was down there and the worship leader had, had taught his choir that if they wanted to um, reflect the glory of God and reflect the passion for God, that they should find a face in the congregation that was truly worshiping and, and focus on that face and with the same spirit and heart enter into that true worship. And that's what those of you whose worship, whose God language is worship do for us. When you are worshiping with arms outspread and with your face radiating the glory of praising the living God, you are reflecting to those of us who don't have the same way of connecting to God what it means to worship in spirit and truth. So thank you for all of you, whether you're a natural born worshiper or not, for entering into what ushers in the presence of the living God with us. That's not my topic today. I have something else to tell you that's not my topic today either. So let me check my time and see if I actually am gonna even get to my topic today. 
So I, um, I've been reading a book uh, by Brené Brown called The Gifts of Imperfection, like when you have hair in your mouth when you're speaking, you know, that imperfection. And I have to confess, I, am a, uh, I, I have been a perfectionist for most of my life. And for about the last 10 years, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so this book about the gift of imperfection is talking about shame and how people who live wholehearted lives not drawn down by their shame are people who talk about shame and talk about the things that bring them shame and that that's what gives us freedom from our shame. So I'm going to tell you my most embarrassing moment. Um, because when I read this last week, I shared this moment with the six who were in my book group. And, and here's the deal. For 10 years, um, actually maybe even longer, maybe 12, this embarrassing moment is the one that when it comes to mind, I go, oh, <laughs> how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so naive? How could I, uh, I hate how that feels? And I told this group last Thursday this story and something in the telling brought some freedom. And so I thought, well, if telling six brings freedom, then I'm going to tell a hundred. And then I just, so this is actually kind of selfish. It's kind of selfish. So, um, and by the way, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. When I'm done telling you, I'm going to feel really awkward and I'm going to have no transition to what we're talking about. So it's just going to be awkward for a bit. And it's going to be okay. So here you have it. About 12 years ago, I um, dabbled my toes in the water of drama. Now, in my perfectionist upbringing, I had never tried drama because I wasn't sure I'd be good at it. And in my recovery from being a perfectionist, I was trying some things that were very vulnerable for me to try, but I was trying them. So I, uh, we had a drama group here at church at the time, and I joined them and did some, we had drama practice like once a week, and then every now and then when there was something needed for the service, some of the people from the drama group, not myself, would do what was going to happen in the service. And we did do in here one time kind of an outreach event that was improv, and I had a lot of fun with that. And so along this journey, um, there was a time that a guy who did drama for a church up in Portland who had friends in our drama group. Um, asked if they knew of a woman who would be willing to do a sketch with him for his church service. And I have no idea why, but they recommended me. And I have no idea why, but I said yes. So we're getting ready to do this sketch. He's emailed me the script. I've taken a look at it. I'm t I've never done anything like this. I've never met this man in my life. Um, at that point, I'm married to my husband, Jeff. We may or may not have had a child yet. We lived in Kaiser. And so we arranged that this guy who I've never met is going to come to my house and we're going to rehearse one time before we're doing the skit at church. And so I'm thinking, okay, I want to do this well. I want to do this right. My perfections, okay, I just want. So first rehearsal, last rehearsal, that's the dress rehearsal, right? So I need to have a costume for this. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to make sure that what I have in mind is going to work for what he has in mind for his skit because it's his deal, you know? So... I do some shopping. I get what I think is going to work. Um, he's due to be at my house at a certain time. My husband isn't home. And I get dressed in my costume for this um, sketch. It's all going really well. I'm really excited about this until I have my hand on the doorknob. And I make a realization. See, the sketch was the woman at the well. So the costume was as close to you could get as a prostitute and still be modest. He's, he's never met me before. And I have my hand on the doorknob and, and it just floods over me. This is a mistake. The short skirt, the fishnet tights, the hair up. Yeah, this is a mistake. And there's nothing I can do but open the door. And I open the, and the look on his face, I try not to remember the look on his face. 
I just tried really hard not to remember the look on his face. Somehow we got through that rehearsal. Somehow we got through the, the, the sketch thing. I was mortified. I never, and, and unfortunately, that gentleman at some point moved to Salem and started coming to his, our church. So every now and then I pass him in the lobby and I just look away. <laughs> I told you I'd have no transition. That's my most embarrassing moment, ladies. <laughs> We do things that we think later, how could I have been so stupid? And the difference between shame and healthy processing is healthy processing says, I did something I wish I hadn't done, um, I did a bad thing, and shame says, I am somebody I shouldn't be, I am a bad person. And so we share our shame stories so that we can say, you know what, I'm not actually a bad person, I just had a lapse in judgment. Okay. What we're actually talking about today is we've been in this series of Does the Bible Really Say? And for a couple months now, I've known that what I really wanted to talk about with you guys this morning is how can you know what the Bible really says for yourself? Because while um, teaching is fantastic and having authors who've written books is great, um, that's a gift of the body of Christ, we need to be people who know God's word well enough that we can recognize when something isn't lining up with God's word. So how can we be women who know God's word well enough that we can figure out what the Bible really says on our own? I heard somebody say recently that we need to be people who are helping others come to Jesus by themselves and for themselves and not always depend on us to know what Jesus is saying. And yet, oftentimes, others are going to want us to do it for them. It's easier to come to church and have somebody tell me the answer to my question than to lean into God and try to discover the answer to the question to myself, for myself. And yet, we must be people who know God's word. Because there are times, whether you're listening to the radio or hearing a pre preacher or reading a book or talking to a friend, that there are certain things that should raise a little, ping a little alarm flag in our head that goes, wait, wait, does that really reflect the character of God? Does that really reflect the nature of Christ? Does that really reflect biblical values? Is, is that truth? And, and we should have times that, that we catch that because all over in our world are people who are doing and saying things in the name of Jesus that have nothing to do with Jesus or what the Bible has to say. So how do we become women who know this? I want to um, read a little poem to you that's from, um, so I have a read through the Bible in one year. It's called the One Year Bible for Women. And just to set things straight so that you don't put me on any pedestal, I'm not actually reading through the Bible in a year. I just own a one-year Bible. Okay, let's be clear. And I occasionally pick it up. And I picked it up on May 1st. I have read through the Bible in a year before, but not lately. And uh, so I picked it up on May 1st, and there's this cute little, because it's a Bible for women, there's cute little stories and little fluffy little sayings. And so, which is some of the reason why some of you have said for years you wouldn't come to women's events, the fluffy little sayings. So I opened it up, and here was the poem on, uh, on May 1st in the, in the Bible. Just to be tender, just to be true, just to be glad the whole day through, just to be cheery when things go wrong. Just to drive sadness away with song. Just to let love be our daily key. That is God's will for you and me. And my little flag went, ding, 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 ding. That's God's will for you and me? To drive away sadness with song? See, 
when, when, somebody, when somebody writes something and they twist it with truth, it can really confuse us. And some of us were raised with this stuff. And it's going to be podcast, right? Use a stronger word. And so when I read that, it didn't just set off my alarm bell, but it tripped my trigger. Because see, I'm a really good Christian girl raised in the evangelical church. And I know that the Bible says that we're supposed to do everything without arguing and complaining. And the Bible says that God will turn our praise into dancing. And I know that we're supposed to have a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart is good medicine. These are all the verses that you memorize when you're a kid. They're all here. And the truth is twisted in with a really ugly lie that says, when I am in the depths of despair, I'm supposed to smile and say, praise the Lord anyway. So how do we know if this is what the Bible really says? Does the Bible really say that just to be cheery when things go wrong is God's will for you and me? What does the Bible say about God's will? How do we know what the Bible says about God's will? If we don't know what the Bible says about God's will, how do we find out what the Bible says about God's will? And it's not necessarily easy. I really wanted to come to you guys this week with an ABC formula about this is how you can know if the Bible really says this or not. So then I started digging in and and the ABCs didn't fit and I went, duh, Jennifer, it's not a formula. These things can be difficult, they can be complex. Take for instance, for instance, maybe a hypothetical um, situation of a woman who has a gift of speaking who's learned all of her life that women are not supposed to speak in the church and they're not supposed to teach men and they certainly better not ever use the P word, preach. If you don't go to church here, I preach sometimes on the weekend. (laughs) How do you wrestle with what the Bible really says when it's complicated? And there are theologians down through the ages who have landed on different sides of these questions. And there are people in our family who've landed on different sides of these questions. How do we honor our family and honor the people we love and land on a different side of a question as they do? How do we know what the Bible really says? And the first step is to be humble and to recognize that on this earth, I may never know. I can only do the best I can with what God has given me, and I have to do that with humility. And when we as the body of Christ come at each other with anger and pride and arrogance and say, I know, no, I know. You know, when I was 18, I had this experience where for the summer I was working in this place where it was a very conservative theology, and then that fall I went to a place where it was a very charismatic theology. And I can tell you that if the leader of this organization and the leader of this organization had been in the same room with each other, they would not have agreed on their theology. But I can tell you that the leader of this organization loved Jesus and served him with his whole heart and lives were being transformed by what this organization was doing. And the leader of this organization loved Jesus with his whole heart and was serving him with his entire life and lives were being transformed in the name of Jesus by what was happening in this organization, but they would not have agreed on what the Bible says. It's complicated and it's mysterious and it's difficult. And sometimes it's not that you can find the word that's false, but there's this overarching sense of something isn't quite right. And what's the something that isn't quite right? What is it that's God's heart for us? And I was going to teach you that if you know, you see something like that and you look through a concordance, which a concordance is where they list all the words in the Bible. So let's say we want to know something about God's will. You could look up the word will and it would tell you all the verses that use that word. 
And so you can start to look through the Bible and kind of do a, a topical study on God's will or a topical study on love. That's a big one. Or a topical study on submission. If you wanted to do a topical study, you'd start with a concordance. And on your table are some orange sheets. And the orange sheets just give you some online tools. Some of you have probably found these and used these quite a bit, but some of you might not know about them, and they're super helpful in your Bible study. So there's um, enough, there should be enough for all of you. If your table doesn't have orange sheets, we forgot to refill last week, and Kara might be able to make some more for us. Is, are there any tables that have no orange sheets? I think I see one up here that maybe just didn't get a refill. Two? Three? Okay. Thank you. So the first one, BibleGateway.com, it's a great place for passage lookup. It's um, a great, they've got audio Bibles, so you can be listening. They've got the keyword searches, which is what I just described on the concordance, and parallel versions. So you can pull up, you could pull up like the NIV and the message side by side and see how they were expressed in each one. So you can see different versions of the Bible. Um, you can do your keyword searches. The Blue Letter Bible has some great commentaries. So a commentary are people who have read the Bible, teachers by nature, and written some teaching on what they think that means. Here's my one warning. You need to know the source of your commentaries because people can say anything about any verse. And so I don't actually go to commentaries first. I learned a long time ago from Barbara Fletcher, actually, to go to scripture first, me and the Holy Spirit, and spend the time in the passage that I'm studying. And then, if I want more insight, go to some commentaries and see what some other people wrote about it. But not to go straight to the commentaries, because then we're still relying on somebody else to tell us what the Bible means. So, some commentaries, some dictionaries. And then, right under Blue Letter Bible, it says Strong's Concordance. This is one of my favorite geeky Bible study tools, okay? If you've never heard of it. Strong's Concordance is a concordance that took all the words in the Bible in their original Greek and Hebrew, and they gave it a number, and so you can look up a word like, and I've done this, for example, with submission, okay? So you look up a word like submission, and you can see not just which passages were translated into submission, but where in the original was this word used, and what was the context of that passage? So like when I taught in February on um, our wives supposed to submit to their husbands, Part of what I did in my preparation was I did a Strong's Concordance search of the original language to see, okay, God used the word submission using women and husbands, but where else did he use submission? And what else does it mean? Because that reflects on what he was teaching us. And so I, and it's super easy. It's just this click, 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 and you can find definitions of words, and it's geeky, though. You kind of have to be geeky to look at it. But it's, if you like going a little bit deeper with things, because here's what somebody taught me once. Um, let's just take the word compassion. If you want a definition for the word compassion as it's used in the Bible, you don't actually go to a dictionary that was written in 1950 and look up the definition of compassion, because that isn't necessarily what the writers of the Bible were meaning when they used the word compassion. So what you do when you want to know a definition of a word in the Bible is you look at where else was that word used in the Bible and how was it used in the Bible, what was its context, what was going on at the time, how, what was the author talking about, what were they doing, what were they saying, how was it used, and you come up with a definition for that word based on its biblical usage, not based on its current cultural context. That actually can be really helpful with some of those big words like submission and sacrifice and whatever else might be the thing that trips your trigger 
and you go, you know, because if you look up submission in the dictionary, it says doormat. <laughs> and then you read the Bible and it says wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. So if you trust the dictionary, then you think that it means God is saying wives are supposed to be doormats for their husbands. And then we think, well, if that's God's heart for me, I want nothing to do with him. I don't need that kind of a God. And it's all because you looked up submission in the cultural context of 2015 instead of looking at how God used submission throughout scripture. So if we want to be students of God's word, we need to learn some of these tools for learning what God means, not based on cultural context, but based on what was it that was being said throughout the Bible. Because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the last one is Bible Hub. Some great stuff on Bible Hub. Um, and I love one of these, or it might be Bible Atlas, has maps. And I know it doesn't seem like maps would have much to do with like truth and grace and but I told you I was geeky about all this. Um, I love looking up the maps and just seeing locations. And for example, when I was in um, the Middle East this last spring, I was in Jerusalem and I was paying close attention because I've just never understood the spacing of things. And so I can tell you that from Jerusalem to Jericho is about the same distance as coming from McMinnville to Salem. And from Jericho to Galilee is about the same distance as going from Salem to Portland. Isn't that just fascinating to know? I'm not a miles girl, I'm a minutes girl. It takes me 30 minutes to get from Minville to West Salem and it takes me 45 minutes to get from Kaiser to, you know, the middle of Portland. So that's about, anyway, has nothing to do with anything, but it's part of being a student of God's word, right? You need to know that I never went to seminary. I never went to Bible school. I didn't actually even go to a Christian college. I went to Western Oregon, State College at the time, does that date me, um, to be an elementary school teacher. As a matter of fact, of all the speakers who have been in front of you here at the gathering, um, Kara Brown and Stephanie Husk were the only ones who went to Christian college and got any Bible classes. I did go to Salem Academy. I have had Bible class, but they don't even count that for like if you apply to have a license as a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance, they don't count Salem Academy Bible credits. Go figure. So if you're thinking, oh, if I want to know the Bible, I need to go to Bible school, or I need to take a class, or I need to go to seminary. No, you need to be a student of God's word. And that's my second thing. If you want to know what the Bible really says, you need to read the Bible. <laughs> um, lots and lots of years ago, um, when I was about 18, I was in an organization called Youth with a Mission, and we had different teachers coming through each week. And one of the teachers came through, his name was Campbell McAlpine, and he was talking about biblical meditation. And uh, when our leader was just starting the week with him and he said, we'd like to pray for you, Campbell knelt down and he bowed his head and he received prayer in the most humble position I have ever seen. And he proceeded throughout the week to amaze me with the knowledge, his knowledge of scripture. And he knew the references for everything. He was a little bit farther on than I was. And so he, it just flowed out of him like, like a river of living water. God's word just flowed out of every, oozed out of every pore as evidenced by his humility, as evidenced by his knowledge, as evidenced by the wisdom displayed in what he was teaching us. And I sat there at age 18 and I said, dear Jesus, I want to know your word like this man knows your word. And Jesus answered that prayer and he gave me a heart to be a student of his word. And here are some of the ways that we can do that. Um, there are Bible studies, and that's a great way because some of us who are social, you know, I don't work out, 
But I go to the courthouse and I go to a class and if I get to know people in that class and I stay in the same place and then when I'm not there, they say, hey, where, where were you last week? Then I will work out because I'm a social being and I will get there if somebody's expecting me, but I will not go out and run by myself at my house. And I think sometimes we need to recognize what's our personality and how are we wired. And I just don't pick up my Bible and read by myself at my house. But if I give myself the commitment of a Bible study and there are other people there who are going to get to know me. And if I'm not there, they're going to say, hey, I missed you. Where were you? I am going to be in God's word more often than I would be if I just left it up to myself. And so some of us just need to know we need the routine and the discipline of a study in our life where we're coming together with other people to talk about God's word because that is what will get us into God's word. Another way to be a student of his Bible, and I know I kind of made light of it earlier, but some of the read through the Bible plans are phenomenal. My very favorite was one that put the Bible in chronological order. So when you started in the Old Testament, instead of having to read all those laws and numbers and then a story and then go back and read all the laws and numbers again and then a story and then go back and read all the laws and numbers again, they put all the laws and numbers together clumped in one because it was chronological. So when you made it through, you were done with them and you knew you'd made it through and you were on to the more exciting things. By the way, if you're new to studying the word of God, I would not recommend picking up your Bible and starting in Genesis and trying to read through. You will get lost about... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. It's just a hard one to slog through as you kind of go through some of the details. Now, I believe it's really great to read when your roots are starting to go down a little bit deeper and because it gives us such a picture of what God's heart is and why did he give all those rules? And you start to see that, I mean, in 2015, we understand that a lot of reasons God gave those rules was hygiene. He knew what disease came from. And so while ancient civilizations were completely wiped out by disease, the Hebrews lived through for hundreds and thousands of years because they were following God's laws and God's laws were based on hygiene. So it's a fascinating thing to see why he was doing what he was doing. But if you're just new to learning about God, I would recommend you skip ahead to what's called the New Testament. Uh, a great book called John is, is a man who lived and walked with Jesus and who tells a very readable story of what Jesus was like. And we begin to get a picture of his heart and we begin to learn about God's plan for eternity and what his, what his plan for our life is. Um, and then go back and read through some of the other stuff. Um, but if you do want to read through the Bible, I loved the chronological one. Um, there is the one-year Bible. And I know of people who take those one-year plans and they say, I'm going to get this done in two years. But I'm going to start and I, and I have a goal and, I, and I'm going to read through the Bible. I know a gentleman who reads through the Bible once every two years. And when he finishes that read through the Bible, he starts again in a different version. Because a different version just gives a different twist on the words and a different way of looking at it. And so he'll read through his Bible in a different version. And obviously, coming to places where you have biblical teaching, you know, there are seminars, there are classes that you can take, but being a student of God's word. Because we can't know that something nah, doesn't match up with God's word if we don't know God's word. Um, I was in Hawaii a few weeks ago, feels like forever ago now, kind of came back and hit the ground running, but I was in Hawaii, a lovely vacation with my family. And on the last morning in Hawaii, I went down to the beach to take an early morning walk before my kids were up, and there were some Jehovah's Witnesses right along the sidewalk. And I did what I always do, and I kept walking right on by, because I wrote a paper on Jehovah's Witnesses when I was in high school, and I happen to know that I don't agree with them, and they don't agree with me. And I just kind of figure there isn't a whole lot of purpose of standing around talking about how we disagree. So I took my walk down the beach, and I came back, and, and I've learned to be a listener to the Holy Spirit, which is actually point three learn to know God's voice. We'll talk about it. But I've learned to be a listener to the Holy Spirit. And I felt like he was saying I should stop and talk with him. And I'm like, seriously, Jesus, on my last day in Hawaii, you want me to stop and talk? 
I don't get the point. And so I was in this wrestling match. They didn't know I was in a wrestling match. There was a shower right there for rinsing your feet off. So I rinse my feet and I sit down and I dry my feet. And internally I'm going, I do not want to stop and talk with the Jehovah's Witnesses today, Jesus. And yet, as I've come to be a student of God's word and a student of God's voice, I knew something. I knew that I could not walk by and still be obedient to the living God. I said, what's the point? And he said, just love them. Okay. So I stopped and I had the conversation. It went pretty much like I expected it to go. They were real nice. I was real nice. They were a little bit surprised at how well I knew my Bible. Um, But what struck me is they knew their Bible. And for every question I asked, they knew scripture and reference and why we were going to that scripture and what they believed about it and a real life analogy for what they were trying to convince me of. These people knew their Bible. Now, just a little pause. Um, If you've never, um, in the body of Christ, we need to stay humble. Wasn't that point one? We also need to be discerning of truth and lies. And and here's my understanding, if you've never studied what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. My very, very basic and underlying understanding that was reinforced when I sat and talked with these folks in Hawaii was that um, the main difference is that the the Jehovah's Witnesses do not share the theology of the Trinity. So while they believe that Jehovah God is God, he is one God, and he did send his son, his son is not equivalent with God. And that there is a Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is God's, influence on earth and it's not God. And so they don't share the theology of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not God. The Holy Spirit is not God. Only God the Father is God. And there is no assurance of salvation uh, because our salvation is based on if we were able to live according to the principles of Jesus. And none of us can know if we really will live our life according to Jesus well enough until we die because God is the only judge. And those are, uh, there's others, but those are the two really big that kind of make a difference between um, what we would call Christian faith, and what we would call cults. And so um, there are some differences. For example, the Baptists believe you need to baptize by dunking people in water, and, and somebody else believes that you need to baptize by sprinkling with water, but we believe that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and who is God, and that we can know that when we die, we will go to heaven to be with him. We can have assurance of our salvation because we have entrusted our salvation to him. So we call those salvation issues or non-salvation issues. How you baptized isn't a salvation issue. We are in the body of Christ with the Baptists and the sprinklers and the dunkers and the immersers. Um, But I would say that I don't believe we are in the body of Christ with somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is God and that we can have assurance of salvation. Does this make sense? So I didn't want to just blow past that for those of you who don't actually know. And there's similar things with um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And yet... These are the churches who have missionaries out there who know the word of God better than you and I know the word of God. And we need to be people who know why we believe what we believe, where to find it, and uh, somewhere in the Bible, this is hilarious. I don't know the reference for this one. I think it was Peter. Said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have received. Which means, number one, our lives should be demonstrating a hope that is so different from what people around us are living that somebody asks us, how can you have hope? like that. And, and I have to tell you, I haven't had very many people ask me that in my lifetime. That's one challenge for us. Always be prepared to give an answer, be students of God's word, for the hope that is in you that should shine so bright like stars in the universe that somebody would even ask, what's different about you? 
what's different about you. So we're humble, we're students of God's word, and we are listeners to God's voice. I want to give a couple scriptures to back some of this up. Um, Sometimes when you teach, you choose a scripture, and you dig into that, and you study it, and then you teach about the scripture. Sometimes when you teach, you come up with your own ideas, and you say, God, is there a verse in here that agrees with my ideas? That's kind of how it went this time for me. So I was sitting at home getting ready to teach you, and uh, I asked my husband, who's my walking concordance, I love being married to a walking concordance, and I said, hey, I need a scripture that kind of, you know, I know they're in there, but where are they about this? And it was my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, who's been in Iwana's memorizing verses this year, who said, oh, mom, I know that one. And she took me to Romans 15, 4, and she said, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God's word is absolutely imperative to us. And then John, um, John verse 10, chapter 10, verse 4 says this, when Jesus, who's giving an analogy of himself as a shepherd, has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then again in John 14, he tells us a little bit more about his voice because he says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's left his Holy Spirit with us. His Holy Spirit job is to teach us and counsel us and remind us of what Jesus taught. And he does that through his voice. But what is God's voice? And this is like a three session teaching in 30 seconds. So listen fast, okay? When we are talking about God's voice, we're talking about our thoughts. Because very rarely, I've never heard God audible voice. I've heard of stories of people who have, um, but very rarely do we hear God audible voice, a voice from the cloud saying, Jennifer, go to Western Oregon instead of Corbin, I don't know. We don't hear audible voice very often, so when we talk about hearing God's voice, we're talking about our thoughts, the things that pass through our brain on a daily basis, and we're talking about discerning what was the source of that thought. So for some of us, hearing God's voice is this very mysterious thing like, well, how would I know if it was God? And part of what we do as we're learning to listen is we recognize that there's essentially four sources for our thoughts. One is ourself. I'm Jennifer. I have a brain. I thought something. That was my thought. I would like to have lemon cheesecake cupcake again. That was yummy. That's my thought. (laughs) Some of them are from God. God is, his Holy Spirit is speaking to me and I have a thought wow, I wonder how she's doing. I'm going to pick up an encouragement card and I'm going to write. And you know what? I just think this verse, the God of all hope, may the God of all hope comfort you with all hope. And I drop the encouragement card in the mail and she gets back to me later and she says, how did you know? Well, I didn't know. That was from God. I wasn't super, super smart. I just have learned to pay attention when a thought comes into my head about encouraging someone or approaching someone or praying for someone. I I do it and I trust that those are God thoughts. Another source of our thoughts can be the enemy. And Ephesians tells us that we have a shield of faith with which to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And I believe that at least some of those fiery darts are thoughts that he shoots into our brain to see if we'll agree with them. Here's an example of some of those. I'm so stupid, I will never get this right. She is so much prettier than me. I am so much prettier than her. Um... I am so angry, I will never forgive that person. And there are these thoughts that we think are us, 
And then we feel this shame over, oh my goodness, I've been a Christian for 20 years. How can I still be so judgmental and putting people in boxes and preconceived ideas? And, and what if some of those thoughts are actually arrows of the enemy just seeing if he can get us to agree? Oh, she is so much prettier than me. I'm 10 pounds over what I want to be. I never look good in pants like that. I ought to just, man, where's the ice cream? <laughs> and down we go down the shame trail. So some thoughts are of the enemy. So we've got ourselves, we've got God, we've got the enemy, and we've got our own culture. You guys, you know this. We are being lambasted with ideas and advertisements and thoughts from entertainment and from billboards and from things that we read and, and, and at Pinterest and all these places. And we're being told what to think, what to think is pretty, what to think is moral, what to think is valuable, what to think is important, what to think defines success. We're being told what to think. And our job as students of God's word is to recognize when those messages don't line up with his word and as students of his spirit to recognize when the tone of voice does not match up with the character and the nature of God. And, and what it takes is practice. We're not perfect, but if we don't think God speaks or we're afraid of hearing wrong or we're afraid of attributing something to God that wasn't God, we'll never enter on the road down the path of we must be listeners to his voice because his sheep know his voice and they follow him because they know his voice. And his voice is the thing that raises that flag in our head when we're talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses or we're watching TV or we're listening to the pastor or we're reading a poem that's printed in the Bible for crying out loud. I mean, I shouldn't have to have my guardrails up when I'm reading the Bible, right? The Bible's truth. We know the Bible's truth. That poem was printed in the Bible. How many women read that on May 1st and went, oh, God's will is for me to be cheery when things go wrong. Ladies, I'm not cheery when things go right. And I think I'm okay. <laughs> a cheerful heart is good medicine. Good medicine, a cheerful heart. It's in the Bible. But if we don't have the and to know that we can be sad and joyful at the same time, that there can be pain and hope at the same time, if we don't have permission to be real with God about how we really feel, God, I am angry that she died of cancer. I don't get that. I don't get your will. I don't get your purposes. I don't get why the devil just won. I am angry, but I am coming to God with my anger. I'm not taking my bitterness out and spewing it all over and saying, God is, I don't believe in him anymore. What do we do? But it's not a cheerful, I'm not cheerful about the fact that one of my closest friends died of cancer. I don't think God asked us to be cheerful about that. And it's the Holy Spirit of the living God in us as we come to know his voice. Um, I remember another example. Back when I first started to learn this, I had been raised in a conservative Christian church that was very black or white. Things were right or wrong. You could know what was right or wrong, and you choose to do what's right. It's really simple. So when I started learning to hear God's voice, I've got this framework that says it's right or wrong. It's black or white. Do it or don't do it. It's really simple. And I'm just getting so confused because I got voices in my head and, and some of them are me and some of them. And, and there was this one voice that was really condemning and really strident and really demanding. Kind of this, you know, Jennifer, you see a total stranger across the mall and walk over there and pray for her. I don't want to walk over and pray for her. Well, you need to do it now or you're being in disobedience. And if you're in disobedience, then you're not pleasing the heart of the Father. And for five years, I wrestled with this voice and I'd walk over there and I'd go, dear God, I don't want to pray for this woman. And sometimes it would, I would feel like, you know what, I think that was God leading it. Other times it wasn't God's nudge. But what I learned was there was one day when this light bulb went off and I went, because the voice in my head called me a brat. 
Jennifer, you're just being a brat. And I went, wait a second. The Bible says that love is patient and love is kind and kindness doesn't call names. And I had this aha moment of, wait, this voice, this voice that is mean, this voice that is demanding, this voice that is demeaning and name calling, that's not actually God's voice. And Satan had taken a truth, we can listen to God, and my upbringing, you'll know what's right and wrong and you need to have immediate obedience. And he had twisted them up into this really warped thing where I'm trying to please God and I am a wreck. I am a mess. And when I was able to discern that this isn't God's voice, I could say in Jesus' name, any spirit that does not line itself up with Jesus being the son of God, you must be silent. I rebuke that name. I reject that thought. That is not my thought. That is a fiery dart of the enemy. Then I began to be able to hear the still small voice of the gentle God who loves me, who would say, Jennifer, do you see her? Just say a prayer for her. And I would just stop and I would say a prayer and it wasn't this big threatening thing. And then if I felt so late, and I have approached strangers, I'm kind of crazy that way. I, I did it yesterday for crying out loud. I was up in Yakima staying with some people and her friend came who was cleaning her house and she was a Spanish speaker. And I just had this upwelling of, I think it would be a blessing to her to hear somebody pray for her in her native language. And I know Spanish. And so I went, I said, can I pray for you? And she kind of went, okay. And I just put my hand on her shoulder and I prayed a really simple prayer and she went, okay. <laughs> and the woman whose house she was there sharing with walked out with me and said, God is so good. I just know he planned that encounter for her and I'm so grateful that you obeyed and la di da di da di da da But it came from a gentle, quiet, loving God, not from a, you better go pray for her, you're in disobedience and if you're in disobedience, you're bad. Does this make sense? We learn to hear the difference of the voice of God. Okay, I have to wrap up, and I think I had one more point. So I'll read you James 1, 5, and that is this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If we lack wisdom and we need to know, then we ask. Part of what I was doing up in Yakima was um, shadowing a group of women who were doing a ministry, discipling women in how to listen to God. And I love that they just, over and over and over again, someone would say, well, what about this? And they would say, well, let's ask Jesus what he thinks about that. And they'd stop and they'd pray and they'd say, Jesus, would you show her what you mean by that? Jesus, would you tell her? And I would love for us to become a community where that's just our first go-to. When we lack wisdom, we ask God, who without finding fault for the fact that we don't know the answer in the first place, gives us the wisdom that he's asking us for. So with a humble heart, we become students of the living God. We learn to know his voice, and we ask for the wisdom that he wants to give us. Um, one more tool, kind of random, but how to read the Bible for all it's worth. If you're really wanting to dig into this a little bit deeper, this was a book that Barbara Fletcher recommended to me several years ago. It's got phenomenal, phenomenal Bible study, Bible reading tips, how to, how to study the Bible, but it's written for a lay person and not for like a seminary student. So uh, if you're interested in this, I will leave it up here on the table. It is by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I want to end with a verse. We read a poem that said what God's will for us was, and I want to read what the Bible says God's will for us was. When I was up in um, Yakima, I was processing this message with some of the women because I was at a stuck spot about how to kind of get from point A to point B. And the woman who was driving says, well, have you asked Siri? And I said, Siri? She says, yeah, ask Siri. So I get my phone and I ask Siri, Siri, what is God's will for me? 
And Siri, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I don't think she always is. Um, the first thing on the list was Romans 12, 1 and 2. And what was really special for me is that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is my life first that God brings up at crossroads in my life to show me that I'm on the right path. And here's what it says about God's will for us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, we're so grateful for these times together throughout this year. We're so grateful for your word. Would you cause us to be women who hunger and thirst for your word, that we would want to be students, that we would desire to know more, that we would desire to know you so that we can recognize when something does not represent your heart or your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kara, wrap us up. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Okay, so really quick, there are some yellow sheets on your table, and these yellow half sheets um, are kind of a value, not kind of, they are, evaluations for the gathering. Couple questions, and then an opportunity to be contacted about possibly serving on the gathering team. Um, if you are interested in all of that, and I would love any story, feedback, anything, like freedom to say anything on this piece of paper. Um, I think I can say that. Anyways, uh, there's a basket in the back and you can just put them in there. If you want to be contacted about serving and being part of this team, please put your email on there. Otherwise, you can say all the anonymous things you want and just tuck it in there. Hearts uh, at home, moms, I know that you need to get kids. So if you want to take it with you, you can drop it off sometime during the week um, and put it in Jennifer's box. Um, I'd love to hear feedback from you guys. So there's that opportunity, which brings me to... an. I need to say thank you because there is no way the gathering could happen Wednesday night, turn it around, do it again Thursday morning without my gathering team. And so I just want to give a shout out to Annie. I did earlier already just the decor, all her heart. And like, she's amazing. Um, also, Bonnie, Bonnie is not here, but she is just a wisdom, wealth of knowledge, blonde curly hair. She's I love her. She's awesome. Gail Enfield does our prayer ministry. So every Wednesday, every seat is prayed over and the platform and everything. It's like, we've got a great prayer team. Couldn't do it without them. And Pat Johnson, who's not here either, but I want to thank her. All the administrative stuff, I'm kind of relationally wired. And so I lack in the like email spreadsheet, that kind of thing. She does great with that. I do not. Deanna Sandow, where are you at, Deanna? Thank you so much for food stuff. Appreciate it. Um, and along with that, thank you. Hearts at home, you saved my bacon. Like Thursday mornings, food, small groups were divided up over the year. Just getting out the door when you have small people is like amazing. And then to like bring food. So um, thank you to you and the leaders and the way that you guys just loved on this ministry, the gathering by contributing in that way. I really appreciate it. And I don't want that to go unnoticed. Um, last and not least is my buddy, Valonda. Come on up, lovey. So um, for those of you that don't know, this is Valonda. She's been leading worship for the three years since the gathering began, and two. Just kidding. 
since I've been here, I've only known Volanda. So um, she's a rock star. She's a phenomenal wife and mother. And she is going to school full time with the Reach Training Institute. And that is a big deal. And it's a huge time commitment. And it's a full degree. Like, and there's practicum and ministry hours and papers and all kinds of jazz. So um, she is going to be stepping out of this school which makes me sad because I love her. Um, so anyways, uh, a while back, I talked about the ampersand and having, and Jennifer touched on that as well, like being able to feel both things at the same time. And that was a huge, um, impactful, meaningful uh, thing for Volanda. And so we want to give her this little reminder with the ampersand on it to say, we appreciate you and we love you and we value you. So I just want to take a second to pray a blessing over her. She, you can go sit if you want or stay here, whatever you want. Um, okay. <laughs> um, and that's what we're going to wrap up with is that prayer over Volanda. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this ministry and for these women. We're honored to be a part of this and humbled that you would call us. Thank you so much for Volanda the daughter, the wife, the mother, the friend, the student, um, the different roles that you have called her to. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give her affirmation and peace in stepping out of this role to pursue more of what you have for her, God, and pray your favor over sound mind and clarity of thought as she juggles these different things and learns more about you and gives, gets into your word and into your truth. And so we pray blessing and favor over her and ask that you would continue to love on her and carry her through this season. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so uh, last but not least, just kidding, we're done. Um, thank you all so very much. Uh, seamless books, if you need to get your seamless books, there's somebody in pursuit for those of you that already signed up. And if you didn't, wah, wah, sorry, that's a bummer. Yellow sheets, there's a basket in the back on your way out. You can put those in there. Love you long time. Peace out. Do you know Melissa Garner? Yeah, I know the name. Cancer. Okay. Uh, mom.